All right. Welcome to episode three of the Exodus of Magic podcast. This is Dungeon Master Eddie coming with you today uh, with my buddy Jeff, who has uh, been playing D&D with me for over a decade at this point. He was part of the first campaign I ran from level one to level 20, and we've played in a campaign that has gone from level one to level 20. So we, we have history, we have war stories, and we are going to be talking about one of those war stories today, uh, something that I would define as my most legendary moment as a DM, and, and we'll get into why, and this is simply known as the party. And when I say the party, I don't mean a an adventuring party, but you'll understand as we get into it. So, hello, Jeff. How's it going? Yes, uh, you are actually my... I mean, I've had people introduce me to Dungeons & Dragons, but you were my first, like, actual DM besides just some high school friends that you end up doing a one-shot, even though you had grand plans of it being a campaign. <laughs> yeah, the nobody wants to be a DM uh, issue, usually, or, or schedules just never work out. Right, right. Especially when you're in high school and you need to... You know, one person's got a car, but he's also got a job to pay for the car, and everybody else is on a, I can't get a ride from my mom. <laughs> <laughs> can't really meet up. Yeah. Um, well, now we got we got some of our friends, oh, I, uh, I can't be there because the kids can't get a ride from their mom, yeah. so I got to drive now. Exactly. The, the same problem, just on the other side of the coin. But, um, yeah, the, uh, the party... This was by this point, like the the party had to have plane shift magic if memory serves, because traveling the planes was relatively easy at this point. Yes, we Tom uh, was high enough to cast the spell, and it was just like it was the grind between because you get seventh level spells at what thirteen. True, but it's um. For he was a cleric, ladies and gentlemen. He was a he was a cleric of Palor, and he could get plane shift in three five at fifth level. Seventh level for the wizards, fifth level for the clerics. Okay. So it's at that point, uh, at ninth level, there was still not not quite yet widespread usage of this because of of where the plot was going. Now to set some guidelines in the campaign, I I was I had instituted something. That was based on experience of having played in and run games before. Uh, And the issue that would consistently come up would be the way characters would make money. Which would be to have a character do something so insanely stupid it gets them killed. So their stuff gets recycled or sold through the party. And then they bring in a new character with whatever that level's uh, value worth of gear is. And, and the cycle would continue. And then when you'd eventually get to the point where they're they're getting to the whole, oh, maybe we can buy something big, and you're thinking, no, I've kept things balanced. Then they sell all the dead guy's stuff. And then all of a sudden, look, here we are. We're 13th level. We got a pair of guys swinging plus five Vorpal Longswords. Yeehaw. Uh, and as a DM, you're thinking, wait, 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 that's not right. Uh, so what was instituted in this, and this, this took a little bit from uh, Final Fantasy, was the, the chosen one idea. And I give a hat tip to Eight uh, Bit Theater on this one with the with their little light bulbs and the you look at the orbs of legend because they're still warm. So the goal was to accomplish the the feat and prevent the return of the the evil dragon deity 
each one of the four main players had to go through some trial to earn the title of Chosen One so that they would be able to deal damage to the deity at the end of the campaign. Which, of course, meant only resurrect... Well, only your character coming back to life. I already can't say resurrection because my character in particular was... Think only ever reincarnated. This is true because <laughs> reincarnation was cheap and it was in the budget. So there was uh, the idea of being when a character dies, if they're one of the chosen ones, you can't just recycle them and bring in somebody new. You have to bring them back. So each of these characters would have to go through a different quest at some point. And for the setup to the party, because there's a there's a preamble to this. Uh, two characters. Uh, Jeff, who was playing a everything, rogue monk, mostly. Yeah, no, he was just an ascetic, ascetic rogue. And then our barbarian uh, had gone through their challenges and they had been chosen ones. So then it was the cleric's turn. The cleric, our great arbiter of morals, uh, was supposed to keep the party on the straight and narrow-ish. I mean, uh, he did a fair enough job at that. I mean, any time he didn't do a fair job at that was under the pretense that the party had to survive so that way we could actually take out this deity at the end. With one notable exception at the end, but we'll, that's, that, that's a, another war story that will involve one of the NPCs that we'll probably be discussing in this uh, episode. I'm not saying he wasn't... In fact, he was very prone to making mistakes. Uh as we're about to get into. This this is true. So the, the precursor to this uh, is the cleric has to go first. He has to complete a his trial to be a chosen one. And I not just borrowed, but basically Xeroxed the idea from the, the Twins trilogy of Margaret Weiss, where they... Uh, through some dragon powers in their world, get sent back to Kryn in the time before the Cataclysm, where our noble cleric of Pelor has to engage with the king priest to see the idea of the intolerant good, in essence, leading to some of the moral flexibility he showed down the road, albeit to a greater degree than I expected. Yeah. Now, when the party gets there... They encounter Raceland, uh, for any of you fans of the book, in his black robe glory. And he, being the archmage he is, figures out who they are and that they're not from that world. And he, he is told what they have to accomplish. So he gives the cleric two rules. When you meet the king priest, A, do not tell him from you're from the future. And B, do not tell him you're from another world. So they have... Their cleric walking around in the polished armor, so it, it looks like the other clerics, even though the holy symbols are just a little bit off. And he eventually gets an audience with the king priest. And the king priest says, well, tell me about yourself. And immediately, Tom the cleric, with these rules freshly in mind, says, well, I'm a cleric of Palor, come from the future of another world to understand what happened here. Immediately taking the, the two golden rules and just crumbling them up, throwing them outside and watching the semi-truck run right over them. So this then leads to an awareness for the king priest that never existed in 
uh, in this world of of Dragonlance, where they're uh, for the books I have read, the only traveling they've ever really done has been to uh, the abyss uh, for for the evil afterlife. So now the king priest comes up with this idea: if there's other worlds out there, uh, you know, and and their their clerics aren't strong enough until they come from way in the future, then he can send out some of his own entourage his, his holy warriors yeah. to be um, missionaries to spread the word of Paladine beyond the bounds of this realm which is exactly what Raceland was trying to prevent in the first place because things like this in the in the hand of those who are not very smart never goes well so he sends his people out they have the big bit at the end where they have to we were able to stop I think half of the people going out we we got like the on display uh planar keys we just didn't know about like his three best patrons having effectively already gone out correct as, as this as it took much effort to get them sent yeah. um, you were able to sabotage most of it and then at the moment of the cataclysm they actually got uh part of the party was able to engage with lord soth that was our barbarian and Arguably one of my top three NPCs of all time, Freddy, um, who was a factotum, roguish, speedster asshole. And they got Soth to turn around. Soth comes back to stop the King Priest. The King Priest explains to Soth what's going on. Soth goes all in on the King Priest's idea. The party has a, a, a fight with them. Uh, Soth beats the party's barbarian basically because he won initiative. Uh, meanwhile, the the ascetic uh, rogue had been, you know, it hit with an earworm that was giving him instructions the whole time that he must kill the cleric. And so he was able to not kill his own cleric by killing the king priest uh, because of, of the way things were. It's like they, you have the moment there where right before the cataclysm hits... You know, the clerics of old will come down to any of the true clerics who aren't just political monsters and say, hey, you know, you, you, this is going to happen. You have proven yourself. Let us take you away from what's about to happen. And when given this option, the cleric of Paylor looks at the party and says, okay, and leaves the party behind to get crushed by the mountain. A bunch of insanity ensues. We'll skip over that because we've, we've set the stage. You already have these... Uh, missionaries and proselytizers out in the world. Well, the multiverse. The multiverse. Fast forward, the party is back. The fourth player has not yet attempted his... Um, Trial, but this his, is his... This is the character that he ends on. This is true. This is this is the character that would be, would be in the trial and would be there at the end. He was a... Uh, also a rogue. I think it was Ranger was the other part because he was all bow. I, I think he did the uh, Ranger Scout mix. Ah, that's right, he was or Ranger some, Scout. Something like that. But then, specifically, he also went with uh, Jaunter to be able to get the movement bonuses quicker. And then, and the I think the initiative bonuses that went with that, because until the very end, you two were playing the which one of us is going first. Because the double-digit, high-double-digit, uh, like, high-teens modifiers meant... Unless you really blew it and somebody else did well, you guys were one and two, and then a huge gap, and then everybody else. Exactly. 
and then we also had like similar uh like spot and listen checks too like we everything except for what we actually did in combat was almost cookie cutter to each other you, you got there going different paths cause i don't think there was any class overlap no which was which was something uh and so as we get to we get to this point right before the party, now there had been active use of Sigil in second edition. I was a big Planescape fan. Uh, I love the world. I understand it very well. It's easy to to sew it in when characters get to those higher levels, and we're going to do some plane hopping. And we sort of encountered a problem because if you can get to Sigil and make the right contacts, you know, if you have enough resources, once again, everything is on the table. Right, your odds of finding something go, go up quite a bit when you make it to the nexus of the worlds. So now, whereas we didn't have the eternal resource uh, problem, what we had was, you know, open all the books. With the contacts that were made, we'll find something you can get us this. Uh, and plus, going through Sigil was an easy way to just hop to and fro all over the multiverse. And At least we still had to spend money. To get everything. This is true. You still had to spend money, uh, which which becomes a key part of the story of the party, because our ranger scout, uh, because he was all in on his bow, and I think there was a magical bow found at some point. He had like he had a substantial amount of. He didn't even spend close to all of it for this, but no. he had a substantial amount of just sitting coin that he wasn't wasting on equipment or anything he brought 50 grand to the table in gold pieces which he spent maybe five or ten. Oh, he spent more than that he probably spent half of it because the it was well can i can i buy more then i'm gonna buy more but it, but at a certain point it got to a situation where more than he bought still showed up because of word of mouth Yes, so this, there was, what the situation was, and we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, the party got split up, and the reason why the party was split is the barbarian and the cleric couldn't make it for a session. So you have the two skill monkeys alone <laughs> yes. in Sigil, Ivan's. So this is, this is a story of the lack of adult supervision per se. So up until the, this point when two people couldn't make it, they needed to find some item to deal with the end boss of the campaign. He was willing to do it if they could go get him a magical item from one of the lower planes, which they, they had accomplished. Uh, but if you get into the weeds, there's the whole theory of time passing at different speeds on different... Uh, planes. So when they were going through a portal to come back to Sigil and turn it in, the way it was played is the two people who were going to be there next week jumped through the portal first, a la the Guardian of Forever, and then the Barbarian and the Cleric then jumped through with the idea there, there would be some delay between the arrival of the Skilled Monkeys and the arrival of the Cleric and the Barbarian. So the party is now split. The skill monkeys are now in Sigil. And I think we both made the spot check, but I technically... You gave it to me because his character wasn't there for the whole uh, 
mountain crashing thing. Yes. So I had to explain what the thing was that I that we had both noticed, and that was this great advertisement. It was uh, uh, just a red and white like kingfisher, like beautiful sign, and it was Sir Thomas Wilkinson, and like all of the information about the where to go for his preaching and signing up for his his uh work the missionary work the the going to the different different worlds off of this now the the relevance of putting wilkinson here was based simply on the idea that i had a little throwaway plot i could bring back that was not integral to the overarching play that two characters could do on their own and this would have absolutely no effect on on everything we accomplished it you did i was also wrong about the the long-term effect because of how things went down and in fairness i used it to solve the um you know the we get to go to the walmart in bentonville arkansas because they have everything issue that's true so what happens is they arrive on sigil first and they're looking for something to do, do we? Because I knew that our, our jaunter, I'll refer to him henceforth as the jaunter, had money to spend. And this was a chance to finally go spend all that money he'd been saving up. As a little side plot, I was putting in Wilkinson here to do a recruiting drive to give you guys a chance to engage and maybe do something with Wilkinson. And something we did. Yes. Here... So, this is the situation I can't remember. So, I know I had to explain it to his character, and we just sort of skipped over it just because him as the player knew it, but, you know, a little bit of role play there. Mm -hmm. And I, I think his head was already turning, but as my character explains it, I think he made the mistake and said, well, we have to stop this. And me knowing we couldn't legally stop it with where we were, I said, no, we have to mess with this. And he ran with that. Yeah, I, it should be noted that the, the Jaunter player takes great glee in looking at a DM's plans and then trying to find a way uh, to crash them into the mountainside like a plane full of Brazilian soccer players. And it can be frustrating, it can be humorous, it was kind of both. You had fun. I did. I did enjoy it, but it was he got that look in his eye. And I give him credit because as he set it up, he set it up in such a way... You didn't see it coming. I had no idea. If memory serves, the very first thing is he sees this, and then you guys go into a bar. Specifically, it was like that. It was a goblin, and he had a really dumb bugbear son... Or claimed it was his son. Yeah, they're both goblinoids, so it could technically be. And it was like just this beat down goblin ale run bar, and yeah, we serve grog. And so Drew buys uh, a couple barrels. Well, he no, he doesn't open with a couple barrels. It was we're hosting a party. At the, at the, the, the town square. I think we, we never referred to it as a party. We wanted to try and keep it under the books. And so we always said, there is an event that we need alcohol for. Yes. So the discussion, and this is where 
you know, if my brain comes off the rails, he says, I want to, we want you to sell your alcohol out there. And the, the goblin, not being a complete donut, well, I don't want to, you know, I have to do this, and then I got to sue up money. And then Drew says the thing that melts my brain. She's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to pay for all of your alcohol. You then get to go out there and sell it and make double your money. And there's just this pause as I'm looking at him because I don't get it. Right? I just... I don't get this. So the goblin doesn't get it, but he's like, all right, you pay up front. We'll, we'll rent a cart and we'll do this and we'll get everything out there. So then he goes around to like a dozen other bars. It makes the same offer. Yeah. I think next was like an elven bar, just getting all the elven wine. Because we were just trying. I think the idea was just spread wide because we don't know who will show up to be part of this whole uh, missionary work and uh, I think at a certain point I also, he sent me off while he did all the alcohol stuff like he gave me some of the gold that he wanted to put down to this and he was like now you gotta go find food vendors yep and uh, I was actually then the one to run into the trouble which is lucky because of the two of us I had the better charisma score and by that, I mean I didn't have a penalty. And you didn't play your characters in, as an asshole. Correct. Uh, and ran into, like, the guy running that district type of thing. It was, like, wondering where our stuff was being set up. Because he heard, like, uh, about the food cart that I was trying to get. And then I think he knew at least the goblin cart was on its way there and god help me at least i didn't have to roll the bluff because i did the i kept everything completely straight and so it was a diplomacy yep this is true and it was just the this is where everything is going so no lie there i need to get this there you know, because like this was already after like some you you know do you have the proper permit blah 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 this and that it was like I, look this is where we're going I need to get this there and if you have any permit questions you're gonna have to ask Sir Thomas Wilkinson because he's the one that actually set up the event yes yes that was the the permit dodge was referencing Sir Thomas Wilkinson as you ran into um, one of the one of the many factions one of the twelve factions of Sigil at the time. And if you're talking licensing, uh, that would have been the, the Harmonium who are, who are policing the whole thing. Unless that was, and it, it has been many years since it's occurred, um, the party had engaged previously with the Factotum, uh, the head guy of the Doom Guard, the Lords of Entropy. We actually already had friends on uh, the... Um... You had friends with the Chaosites because you, you dealt with one of their senior, yeah, as much yeah. of a leader as they can and have. That, and that came into, like, finishing up the setup because I think I ran into him next or Drew, uh, or the Factotum, or our jaunter ran yes. into him and did, like, the whole, hey, this is going on, and he spread the word even further. Well, the big part was he told them who this guy was and where he's from and that he's got a holy sword on a great quest. Well, the the, the Factotum of the Doomguard wanted the sword. He, yeah. like, collected the swords of, of 
famous heroes who either fell or just had their swords taken from them as a big, I'm better than you. Yeah. So as this is going on, like this, this part happens. Meanwhile, back to the jaunter. While you're getting the food after he's done with the alcohol, then he finds a, a like a band of bards to hire them to follow him around playing music and making the announcements of this event. And then hiring other squads of bards to go all around the city to once again get the event up. Then it's we're so gonna instead go instead of trying to prevent people from coming to this event, the end in case people aren't aware of where this is going. Our idea was to get people so inebriated and loud that the me- people would be at the event, but the message would not be heard. Yes. That or was, that was our way of messing up this event. That with the with the B plan of if things get rowdy, the police come and shut it down. Correct. So then and I mean, by God, they did. They did. Like, you'd think (laughs) the bards would be enough. But no, he's still got all this money to spend. So he goes to places that do printing. And had the tabards. The playbills done up. Then he went and got the the collectible tabards done for the Sir Thomas Wilkinson Memorial Concert Tour with the with the different planes and the relative dates as to when they are going to go out and this this tabard shirt setup uh, is is ultimately the the thing that makes this beyond glorious so they get all of these goods right and they're distributed but now like the word has now spread beyond it so you now have everybody involved in all the 12 factions coming to this because this is now going to be absolutely nuts. This is we decided to set we accidentally made Woodstock in the markets of Egypt and all the Bloods and Crips were invited. (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) what happened. So as they get there you people are selling the drinks people are selling the tabards you have the posters people started selling Things that weren't paid for in advance. Like other merchants just set up stock and tried yeah, to they, brand it for the People just, like, that was, I think, the cool thing. Because you had us, like, in the party just exploring it for a little bit before you decided to make things go boom. And it was like, oh, that's really cool. When did you hire that guy? Mm-hmm. I didn't. All right, let's go see his wares. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like the guy the shops. That's right, the guy with the giant rugs that had that, that hastily done the, the Thomas Wilkinson Memorial uh, concert tour uh, on it. You know, the little embroidered, like the, symb- like the holy symbols of Paladine showing up that were all like uh, knockoffs that weren't even silver plated. Uh, yeah. Things like that. That's just straight pewter. <laughs> I mean, and it was just, as it went on, like all of this is disrupting and the harmonium, the, the police of all this are coming to get involved. But it's already too big. Yes, it's, this is, you know, this was simply, they're just looking at the amount of people and they're all outnumbered 20 to 30 to 1 and there's not, there's no coordination, you can't hear commands above. And then the team, the factotum sent to go steal Wilkinson's sword, do so. At which point a, a fight starts and then magic is engaged and like scorching rays and whatnot are cast. 
And now the drunks take this with the mob mentality. Like the rule of a mob is nobody nobody will do anything bad until one person does something yeah, bad. Somebody threw a chair and yelled World Star in, <laughs> yes. the, form, in the form of Scorching Ray or Fireball or something. And so... And it missed the intended target. Oh, of course it did. At which point, you know, it's a classic bar card. Somebody gets hit, then somebody responds. Then other people start doing things because they have the cover of, of the mob. And then old old rivalries flare up. And, and this just turns into the all-out brawl at the end of Blazing Saddles. This is. This is the, the brawl that now has the, the possibility of going full-on Blazing Saddles and spilling over elsewhere in the multiverse. Meanwhile, like the... Like, the members of the of the adventuring party who were there, well, I, I mean, me and Drew, um, I mean, I suppose you can go into like the ten minutes at this point that, or no, they were there for about an hour doing their stuff uh, before things that the actual thing happens. Yes. Um, so we what? So what ends up happening? And we'll we'll skip around here because it's relevant to to set up the surprise that the rest of the party had. So we just, about ten more minutes of, of game happens, and then there's a, a cutoff to come in for next week. And then the next session, everybody's there. Originally, we we're going to do a two and two, but based on what happened and the time delay, it would be easy to just run a couple minutes for the other two adventures and then merge the party back up. And yeah, because they just had to drop off a magical item and pick up some of the stuff that we needed. Yep. Ended up, it wasn't completely useless, but it was mostly useless. Yes, well, you never, the exchange never happened. They kept their item, and he, the other guy never produced the, the weapon uh, in question. So the, we, had to, we had to do some dead drops, I think, because we were able to get in contact with them. But. Yes, much, much later on. So the... The two players come in, and we sit down, and Dale the Barbarian says, so, or no, it's Tom. Tom the Cleric says, so what did we miss? I start laughing. You laugh so hard, you fall out of your chair. And Drew's just looking around like, huh, I wonder what they're talking about. Actually, so, this is them coming in. They're doing their stuff, but I think we actually ended it on the we made will saves. You didn't tell us what happened to us. No, we, we we did we did go past that because we had the setup of what came next, so that after they dealt with the will saves, they showed up, and all of that was already set up yeah, 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 because yeah. you guys were already there. Yes, yes. So they come in, and in the clerics like, so what did we miss? There's the laughter, people falling on the floor, Drew doing his classic. I don't know what you're talking about, man. And Dale, understanding as we played together for years at this point, just looks dead at Drew. So what'd you do? And Drew's just like, this is not my fault. None of this is my fault. I don't know how anybody can blame me for what happened. Hey, I will stick up for this. This was just me and Drew doing our part to fix Tom's mistake. I, I, okay. <laughs> now, in fairness, the solution of we're going to stop the fire from spreading by imploding the house so it can't hit the neighboring houses instead of trying to save this house Right, there's, there's some perspective where on the alignment tic-tac-toe chart everybody sits. Oh, I'm not. This isn't an alignment question. Oh. It's just not Drew's fault. Uh, I, I still, I still I, if you were not going to use the word fault, this is definitely Drew's responsibility. There you go. 
Which, there you go. To, to up until the day he died, he, he declined to even see how he was responsible for this. So the party comes in, and they have to go to the Great Library in Sigil. Uh, this is they're dealing with a researcher there in one of the upper floors. So they're going up there. I remember every time they're in the library, they just give the barbarian a coloring book. I think they ended up picking one about uh, like the like an abyssal horror genitalia coloring book that they then gave him crayons to, to color things in and make make additions to what he thinks should look different or better. Yeah. So they get in. He they said we have the item. The guy says, okay, he holds out his hand. They put the, it was, I think, the, the, the Dairn's Cube or whatnot, where you, it lets you like go to six different planes that you can program into this. As he's handing it to him, there's the, all right, everybody make a will save. The cleric, you know, as a mid to late game at this point, makes the DC 40 will save. And all of a sudden, he's looking around. It's like there's just a time stop over all of Sigil. Right as he's walking around, he finds one like ninety-year-old human librarian lady who's you know just due to her ancientness can actually make this will save. She rolled the nat twenty, I think. I right. think you just went percentage-wise of people you just knew some small would... amount, right? Yeah. So she looks up at him and sees him moving. He's like, "Hey, what's what's going on?" And she freaks out and goes running out of the library. So he starts heading down to go talk to her. He gets to the threshold of the library, and then bloom. Back on his home plane, and the barbarian is with him. And as they're looking at each other, there's this like orange thumbprint in their foreheads that they can see on each other. They have no idea what's going on. In as they're walking in a general direction of where they know their base of operations is on on their home plane, they see Freddy. Freddy, who was there with them at the in the beginning of the entire. Sir Thomas Wilkinson debacle. And they're like, hey, Freddie, what's going on? He's like, screw you, screw your friends, screw your family. I'm out of here. No, what, what's going on? Up yours, go screw yourself. I don't want to see you again. Die in a fire. And Freddie also has the thwack on his forehead. And I think... I think you made Tom make... Well, you made them make spot checks, and Tom actually got good enough where he couldn't identify what it was, but he saw that... Freddie was like wearing a new tabard. Yes, <laughs> Freddie was wearing a, a, a new decorative tabard that had all kinds of art on it and then writing all down the back. So they make their way to the temple, where which was the base of operations. And while they were in Sigil, there was a young homeless girl that they were um, helping out and, and, and helping to support. Um, and as they approach it, she is sleeping on her little... Uh, baby dragon because she was a baby tiefling so she was small enough to be on a you know a young dragon as a couch yeah they also had the orange thwack on their foreheads but surrounding them on the outside of the temple there are just hundreds of barrels of ale tons of food stands and then they find not the stands but the food the food Anything we had purchased. Paid for. Thousands of flyers for the Sir Thomas Wilkinson Memorial Concert just Hundreds of tabards with the decorative stuff. And I think it was finding that the tabards were Dale the Barbarian blew his top yeah. with a I'm gonna I'm gonna effing kill him. 
He does. He doesn't. Yeah, it's like he. We don't have to bring him back yet. We can get rid of him and just just take the hit to any atonement. And to be fair, I think this, like this, was probably the safest option for what happened because I think with how Tom has proven to handle authority, he may have gotten himself killed if he made the save and was the first person from the party that was engaged. Me making my save actually helped. This is true. Tom not being there helped. So as we, we rewind, now they've dealt with the... They come back and all of their plans to get ahead and deal with the bad guy, get the end bad guy, getting the weapon to deal with the end bad guy have, like I said, been watered up, thrown out the window. Uh, it's like taking the, the doll from Little Girl, throwing it out the car window and watching a semi just right over the top of it. So as we rewind... As the party in Sigil is just degenerated, turned into, you know, the Watts riots, you know, turned up to 11. Eventually, in, in this city, the, the city has a guardian deity, the Lady of Pain, who does not tolerate crap. And the, the 12 factions are empowered to maintain a balance. Well... This isn't like the table is flipped. The dinner's all over the floor. This is that. I don't think the table's even in the dining room anymore. <laughs> this is the this is the natural one on the dice on that roll of community where Donald Glover comes back from picking up the pizzas downstairs, and somebody shot. Somebody's bleeding. The the thing is burning, and you know somebody's having a mental breakdown. It's like that's what this was. So she shows up and time stops. Once again, DC forty will save. And I, being the the monk, you know the ascetic rogue, so monk levels, and I I had some prestige classes at this point that boosted it more and stuff. But I think I made. I think Tom made it by rolling an eighteen, and I rolled it by making rolling up seventeen. And yep. this was, I think, we both met it like, like that. Well, like, no. You both had forty twos, because it was. I I remember the forty two. Like it was, it was for you hitchhiker fans, utterly perfect that forty twos were the the nature of the save. So as she's paused, now they've met, or have at least been able to identify some of the other factotums of the twelve groups. Well, technically eleven have factotums except for the chaos sites. They get a spokesperson in situations like this. So he's looking around and realizing that it seems that everybody who is a, a head of one of the factions is not bound by this time stop because a lady of pain has come down and she wants answers. In essence, somebody tell me what the hell happened. Who is responsible for this? And at this point, upon hearing that phrase, I remember there was a monk who just slowly started the whole Looney Tunes kind of oh, no, no. It was it was like I had made the hide and move silently to like to Looney Tunes to get closer to hear what was happening. And then when I identified what was happening, I just full on went, I hope my monk speeds got this and <clears throat> bolted. And twelve people then pointed at the monk who was running away. And she was on me in less than a round. Yep. Deity on the home plane. This is, you're not... Yeah. Not getting know, anywhere. Carl Lewis ain't winning this one. Usain Bolt is not winning this run. And Flojo so wasn't winning this run. just stops me. Like, got in front of me and that's when I took the, all right, parlay, you know. Like, parlay. I got this. 
how may I, you know, I, again, not a poetic character by any sense, but no negative to the thing, and so it was just a nice little, hello? <laughs> hi, hi, hello. And so she, that's, this is where the thumbprint comes in, because she didn't actually say any words to me. She just put her thumb to my forehead, read everything about, like, in my mind, as well as my entire, like, loom, or my entire, yeah, through the loom, like, my fate and everything, saw that I was tied to this whole kill the elder dragon deity, and so she knew she could not... Couldn't unmake you. Couldn't unmake me, yes. I still had to live out there, and so knowing who reading who all of my contacts are and everything that I need to do uh, this is when everybody I was affiliated with on this plane that was not in her pocket gone sent back to their home plane well no to your plane the prime material plane because everybody else showed up there and uh, and magically we cannot enter Sigil anymore. Yes. Like, anytime you do it, you just get the whole, you know, the number you have dialed is not in service. Error 404. There is no dinosaur game. <laughs> That's right. Well, what's wrong? Well, according to this, we have network connectivity issues. <laughs> so they, this happens. The last thing she does is she puts the thumbprint on there, and then everybody involved is marked with this thumbprint. The last thing she did before booting everybody was just turn and looked at Drew. The same way I did. At which point Drew looks at me, hey, this is not our fault. Where the last thing he said, which, alright, you're gone now. So now, they're trying to, like, all the contacts they've made through Sigil are, are gone. With the exception of Freddy, who's running around, who is pissed because now he's banned. And from his standpoint, he didn't do anything. Right. Yeah, no, Freddie didn't do anything. This is, okay, I am also the only person that liked Freddie, and I actually feel bad for Freddie. I never understood why they didn't I like Freddie. I don't Freddy. know. I think Tom, I think Tom was like, okay with Freddie until he was told to fuck off. This is true. The cleric occasionally took things a little personal. Um, but yeah, so like. I knew Freddy didn't do anything wrong. I felt bad. I personally went out of my way to make sure that I maintained a copacetic connection with Freddy. Didn't care what he thought about the rest of the party. I said, look, man, this got out of my hand, too. But, hey, it was a hell of a party, right? And he enjoyed, like, he did enjoy his time there. And so it was the, me and him were just bystanders. Yep. (laughs) Everybody else can go fucking off. So then everybody else is now dealing with with this banishment and the fact that things have gotten so much harder to complete because now you can't, once again, we're sorry, Walmart is now closed. You get to go down to the corner of Bodega where you get your choice between off-brand Hydrox and you know Swiss cake rolls that have Spanish packaging. Yep. And they cost five bucks for two. So you're you're stuck in, in this situation that in essence rebalanced things but made things somewhat easier because now they were on the closing track. Um, and I like I know there were 
there was one other big incident the party had, which was the the Battle of the Silver City, which is a completely separate story, because that was the first sign that the moral compass of the party was starting to, like, it was no longer pointing true north. Like, losing the cleric was one thing, but when the barbarian got involved, it's like, okay, um, this is not right. But as, as this eventually wraps up, the party does find a way as we get to the end of it and they could um, put together their resources. You know, appropriate resources, albeit limited, they had their choice with a limited amount of money and then had to prioritize what they needed to do. Um, we did also have some gate keys. Like, we could go to planes directly without issue to some. You you could you could skip the Walmart and try to make deals with the manufacturers. Yeah, and I think the hilariously because we had gotten one from you know uh, looting the stuff from the uh, trying to prevent it in the first place when we were still uh, dealing with the uh, cleric king, but i think there were a few other instances where we just found some of these keys and like we did the random roll and i think three of our like eight keys were not only to the abyss but randomly all to layer 222 yes (laughs) which would become a running theme in the many campaigns over the years was layer 222 of the abyss as we we get to the end they succeed we we have the wrap up at 20 uh, you know the the heroes win and they live happily ever after, each becoming this you know hero of legend and immortal, and uh, you know become you know a, above the the worldly needs of of their home plane. So, fast forwarding to to other campaigns and adventures, Freddy would become a very recurring NPC. These when you have NPCs like Freddy who are just so perfect, they just they stay in the bag. You can never get rid of a, a Freddy. He's too, he's too good. Even after the cleric tried to murder him in this, yeah, I mean, counting that he was going to defend himself, but but Freddy was a better better bluffer and bullshitter than the cleric was at trying to root out uh, deception. As Freddy Freddy has had several good recurring bits, but Freddy has always had the the tabard, right? The shirt had had been a big big thing. So whenever we're talking about this and the story of the party would always come up in, in other D&D circles because it was the the biggest I would say the most impressive story that we've I've ever shared, shared with people at a table. That's universal, you know? Yes. Something that wasn't like a you had to be there. It was just a nice, again, you wow, you guys had Woodstock this in, is, in the Planescape setting. Yep. <laughs> you know? This was this wasn't a hey look at my nat twenty or I blew out this deity on in one turn or I survived the fight with Tiamat at one hit point. All of which have happened will probably be other war stories because I even I have moments of awesome. But this was this was so accessible because ultimately this amazing thing happened, and in the end the party still got punished. Oh yeah. All right. They're still. Like in essence, oh, yeah. it, it was an event that didn't turn into a win, and, and we always remember the losses more than the wins. So as this story would show up, like other players at the table would, because they thought it'd be cool, they would say, "I want, I want the tabard." My character's gonna, like, so they'd find replica tabards on sale at different places. So fast forward, I want to think if we, when we were playing this, because we we're still that would have been 06, in the 06 time frame, because we played at the shop for some of those sessions. 
Yes. Because we did the last session was in the shop. And I think it was. What was it like five years ago that you ran into the? God no, it's it's, it's probably ten years ago. Like this time is it was five years after the, yeah. the bit. I'm in a different gaming store. I'm going in because I, I'm a big fan of the really big decorative minis and. The, the 3.5 Orcus Mini had just been released, and I'm just going to go pay my $75 to, to have one of these things that eventually did get used once with, with AJ. But what ends up happening is we're sitting there, and there's a new D&D campaign that people are setting up and describing their characters. And I like to listen to things like this, like the character creation, because I'm just I'm curious to how they talk about their characters. Now, the relevant part is other than the shop owner who was an, an ass and is probably burning in a very hot place at this point since he's dead now. Um, I don't know anybody else in the shop except myself and the person who's there with me. And I'm listening to this player at this table was playing a bard, I think it was, talk about how like his grandfather or something like that was an elvish bard from Sigil who was hired to go advertise this party. And then he got a tabard out of it. That's just been a family heirloom. And he's, I'm listening to this, and the, you know, when you hear things like this, especially where like there's degrees of separation, so there's no direct connection between me and any of these people. And he described and said, what's the tabard? He says, this is for the Sir Thomas Wilkinson memorial concert tour with a list like we never actually listed what planes were on the back besides Sigil and, and, and the various dates so he had, he had filled in the gaps and had this list so I'm, I'm stunned and it's like I can't I'm not going to then inject and say that was us because that would be the mother like it's like holy jeez right um, but no I'm need just the, no need to take the wind out of your own sail or this guy's sail right I don't nobody. I don't want to get into the whole. That's not really you, you know, or any of that, or, or disrupt their game. But I'm sitting there, and I think it was Dan was with me, and he just looks at me with that open mouth, like I don't believe it. It's like I don't believe it either. And the, the party had had blown up in such a degree that it had, the story of it had migrated into other local gaming groups, and now, based on the description this player was taking, and I have no idea who he talked to to. To get this, like that has now probably morphed into to other gaming groups throughout the, the metro area and beyond, and that that's what made it so like it was it was special to begin with. But then it was a story that was so special that people were incorporating it into their character backstories, people that we had never met, and it's just somewhere in my head it's like that's right that's like the winning the Oscars of DMing. Right. Oh yeah, the story, the story, the retelling of the story was so good. It, it weaved into the narrative of of, of the D and D universe. Like I don't even remember if they were playing three five. If fourth edition was out at this point, I right. I'd, I'd have I to look at the, the stamps on the books. Like it, it could have been close. It could have been uh, fourth edition. But there's there was just this moment where, wow, it it had gone. Beyond, uh, and, and a credit to two players who took a throwaway session and decided how sideways can we make this go, right? Again, I knew that we need to stop this, and the only logical conclusion of where we were was 
we had to fuck with it. It went beyond that, you know, but that's what we had to do. Because I didn't have the intelligence, and he didn't have the intelligence. We had cunning. Well, he had to have intelligence because of the jaunty level. Well, his but, character just never used his I'm not, intelligence. I'm talking about like us as players. Oh, didn't fair have enough. the intelligence to out-chess you, but we definitely had the cunning to make you think that we were going to move the knight so you made a, an advanced play, and all of a sudden the bishop came crashing through. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> Eddie, Eddie just hung his rook. Yeah, it was a it was it was something, and I, I, I have to give him credit as as much as I would say the most used phrase at at the table was "roll for initiative" or or subsequently "cue the music" when yeah. we would cue up um, Motorhead um, to just get initiative started, which which eventually forced the pause the bad guy gets his you know the the universal time stop so the bad guy can monologue rule from tom um, you know with that interchangeable with role for initiative but number two on the list was probably god damn it drew yeah yeah he would he would there's a bear the bear doesn't see me i'm gonna throw a rock at it because i can well, I can't. Well, why is he attacking me? I didn't. I mean, come on, that's an overreaction. I'm not responsible for this. Yeah, Re- the phrase "recurring theme" would show up, and it would Drew. And there's, uh, I'm going to have Drew's son Dragon. He named his son Dragon uh, on to do an entire episode about Drew and some of the other things that Drew has done, where either he's getting bored or he wants to be clever. So you'll be on the freeway, and he'll just grab the wheel and yank it to see what happens as you're doing 80 going down a busy interstate. Um, but that those are those will be another series of, of war stories coming from down the road. Uh, well, I would like to thank Jeff for joining me for uh, session three of uh, the Exodus of Magic podcast, where we discussed the party. Something that was, dare I say, if, if things can happen after thirty some years of playing D anD D, the greatest D anD D moment that I got to got to experience, and because of, as Jeff pointed out, how universal it is, and everybody can appreciate uh, that that type of event, uh, I will always hold a special place in my heart. I'll probably think about that as I'm getting closer to kicking the bucket myself and ending up at the celestial bureaucracy to figure out where they're going to ship me. But this was episode three of Exodus of Magic. This was Dungeon Master Eddie. That's good friend Jeff. Thanks for having me. You are very welcome. And you will hear Jeff in a future episode as we discuss more things from our history of D&D.